Well, hello and welcome to Law Pod, brought to you by Bryden's Lawyers. I am Lee Hatch Bantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. And as you know, we have a very extensive investment in the game of rugby league. Bryden's Lawyers sponsors a number of NRL teams, as well as some grassroots teams and the like. However, the jewel in our sponsorship crown, of course, has to be the New South Wales State of Origin Blues. And today I am joined by three legends, three True Blue ambassadors. So allow me to introduce our three guests. Firstly, Steve Menzies, played 349 games for Manly. Uh, Sea Eagles was an Australian New South Wales representative and a Hall of Fame inductee. Welcome, Stephen. Mm, thanks for having me. Luke Lewis, former Sharks, Panthers, Australian New South Wales representative, the author of the autobiography, Cool Hand, Luke Lewis. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, I'm pretty stoked to be sitting around the table with these three blokes. You're Are not... we going to dive into that Cool Hand, Luke Lewis? Can well, we dive just... into that later? Uh, <laughs> original title. I think, I think I might have seen that movie. And our third guest is a former Rabbitoh, Rooster, Australian, New South Wales representative, as well as Cleo Magazine's Bachelor of the Year <laughs> in 2000, Craig Wing. Welcome, Craig. Thanks, Lee. Are That's... we diving into that more importantly? <laughs> that was Let's a different Well, I think we may, have a cop- we may have a copy of that magazine floating around somewhere in the kitchen or something, so I'll, uh, go, I'll go and grab that out. Gentlemen, before we start, we'll just have a bit of a chat about the state of the game today. I attended the Tommy Rodonicus Memorial at the SCG. And there was a lot of video footage of the game when Tommy played it. And it's almost unrecognisable compared to the game today. Now, none of you boys go back to the Tommy era, I'm sure. But even then, when you played, it's still very different today and what players can and cannot get away with. Are you happy with the state of the game today? We'll start with you, Luke. Yeah, I'm happy with the state of the game. I think the game's probably the best spectacle that I've seen for a long period of time. There's obviously things I loved about the game when I was a young kid that I used to watch coming through, and that was the, obviously the, the fighting and all that sort of stuff, but that's obviously all changed. But look, the way that the game is going, the speed and the way that these players and the, the athleticism of these players today, I, I think it's in, in great shape. And I really enjoy the, the new rule changes as well. So yeah, I think onwards and upwards for the NRL at the moment. We had a chat earlier about the two-point field goal, of course, and how that can change the dynamic of the game immediately. That, that's something I think, you know, there's only been three so far this season, but I expect we're going to be seeing a lot more moving on. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all going to come from the same bloke, I think. Adam Reynolds <laughs> is the only one, he's the only one who can do it. But yeah. uh, I think it was in the uh, the room when they were talking about the rule changes and he, he picked out that... Uh, 40-20, over there, that 40-metre field goal for the two points. But last week, obviously, against the Tigers was, was a massive yeah. uh, turning point. The, the Tigers were pretty much on top, dominated the game. 14-12, he comes up with a huge kick, mm-hmm. uh, evens it up, and then obviously they go onwards uh, with the uh, the game and win. But look, I actually I like it because it can change the game or you can be sitting there and you can actually you know hit a beautiful field goal from 40 out and win the game. It's mm. I, I like the rule change, I really do. Yeah, well, young Nathan Cleary kicked one, I think, a week or two ago as well and just got there, but Reynolds seems to kick them easy. I don't think 40 metres is a problem for him whatsoever. He nearly hit one from 50 just yeah. before half time. There, so. there you go. Have we, have we ever had this many rule changes in such a short period of time no, it's in the history of the game? It's a conversation I had recently with someone. Uh, I grew up playing soccer. And I can only remember one rule change in soccer in the history of the game. That is, you can't kick the ball back to the keeper. That was yeah. the only rule change. Yeah. But you're right there. And I think someone, it might have been Peter Sterling recently, commented that we've had more rule change in the last couple of years than we had in the history of the game. But what about you, Craig? Are you, are you a fan of the rule changes? Yes and no for some of them. But I, I guess the situation is, I, I remember when, and when Beaver and I were playing and, and, and Louis looking back at the older guys and thinking it looks nothing like the game that we play today. And... Pretty much watching the game now looks nothing like the way we used to play. The players are bigger, fitter, faster, but the game's also much faster. I think with the rule changes, I guess it's in a, a, a transition phase because it takes a bit of time before teams work it out. Every single team 
well, the progressive teams are going to work out how to exploit those rules. And then, then there's going to be a natural backlash against certain things and then they have to think of other rules. So I think it just needs a little bit of time to settle down. I will say that I wish I was playing in this era with the speed of the game, the speed of the play of the ball. But I do like to um, I do like to see a tight game. I do like to see a big arm wrestle in the forwards. I do like to see the mismatches out there. And I don't really want to see it turn into a game of Oztag or touch footy as well. So it's a, it's a fine balancing act in terms of bringing out rules. And I hope they just let it settle in the not too distant future. Steve, that's right, right. The, the, just the look of the game is different because I think someone said the other day that the the ball is active now for like 65 minutes of the 80. So it really is a faster game in that sense that you're on you're, you're on the go all the time. But the game itself previously with, with scrums and the like gave an opportunity for the defence and for the attack to set up their structures. Uh, a lot of that's gone, hasn't it? Now? No, it's free-flowing. And I think the majority of teams were sort of wouldn't, they would just get a front row or, or a back row or a stand off and just take that first hit up and, and, and hit it in. The better teams were going, hang on, we get an opportunity to use 70% of the field or a fit, like a, a scrum in the, the centre of the field where we can stand one or two players behind the scrum and, and really come up with some constructive plays, a, a good attacking opportunity. Even though it's tackle zero, it could be the best attacking opportunity you have, the whole set of six. So why don't you use it? So... Losing a few opportunities like that for the for the better sides is probably a little bit disappointing, but to see how much more of the game is getting played, how many more minutes we're getting out of rugby league must be super hard for, for the boys, but but so good for the fans. Is it, but just you, yes, you sorry, I was going to say just on the scrums though, the scrums were dead. Yep. The scrums were dead and buried. I'm not that saying was, they need to hook for it. No, I'm no, but, <laughs> no, they were. I just find they were dead and buried. It's basically just stop it, put it in the middle of the field, get it in. Everyone was breaking early. I love the new scrum rule where you can put it in the middle, especially in the attacking field. You see some really great scrum plays, you know, off the back of it where we see in tries now. I like the the referees got the power of saying break when they can go from there. Uh, but if they don't, you can also go back, have a penalty, or opt to repack has that, the has scrum. Has that happened so this year? I, I haven't I actually we'll, seen a penalty yet. Well, then it's oh, interpretation. Maybe the round, That's like round the, one. The 30-second scrum rule. They went, yeah, there's a, or the 30-second dropout rule. They give one or two the first couple of weeks, and, and then after that, you never, you never see it. So as long as the rules are, are not too dependent on the, the ref's interpretation, yeah. if we're saying, here's the rule, this is, well, yeah, this is the rule, let's stick with okay, it. Look, I like that. Sometimes interpretation, then it just gets bent into... Okay, look at the, really look at the six again rule. How often is that given on the first or second tackle? Do you see it given on the fifth? Very rare. Well, I mean, you see it every now and then. Well, but we're talking about We before. were just talking about that before. Is, Louis brought up a very good give, point. Is it given away yeah. deliberately on, our, on the first and second? Well, this is how Louis is an innovator. Louis, yeah. he's an This is what the Sharks are going to be doing. Go, okay. go, go no, no, no. If it, was, if it was me coaching, yep. if I was kicking deep into a corner, and I was really... And we'll get into our game plan nicely. Kick deep into a corner. I would actually say to the boys... Test, test the boundaries and get offside and try and bash them plays one and two try and force that error because if they get a six to go it doesn't yeah. really matter if they do drop the ball you're going to get the perfect field mm. position to start attacking I think the penalty probably should be blown inside the, the mm. try line Louis to the just 20. wrecked the six because again there we go. he's just wrecked the six again <laughs> no no the thing is though if, you're the, if you are the team that's getting mm. you know Yep. the ball there and you can't get out of that corner and you're getting bashed if you get a penalty there you kick it downfield mm. 30 metres you get a, a really good opportunity to set up your field and then start attacking you're over that that tough part of the field and you're in that sort of transition position on the field so I, I think that they'll probably look at it and, and review it at the mm. end of the year but I love the six to go rule because it's keeping the speed well, of the game and all that sort of stuff okay, but let, let me ask you this zero to 20 let's say you know the scores are level you know two minutes to go you're inside there 20 and what used to be a penalty was now six again 
does the referee have a discretion to give you a penalty and because the penalty is to two points, you win the game. The six again, you may not win. I don't know if the, pe- the, the referee's got a discretion. Well, you, you, you just keep getting but, offside. Was going to be offside because yeah. he's not going to give a penalty. But give them six flip, more, they're still going to score a kick. A field there's goal. a flip That's side right. on that though. Okay, so if you get, we're talking about one situation, you're down by two, yep. and yep. we want to give a penalty away, you kick the goal, you even it up. But what if you're down by four? That's when you want the six to go because True. you need to chase points. So we can't sit there what and argue that point. What if you're down by one point. though? He, will, he was never given a penalty anyway. If well, you're I, down by one, he's not going to blow a penalty. That's right. So there's so many different situations. Well, in I that. never thought of that because you don't want to give that sort of power to referee to decide whether you're going to go for the penalty or whether you're going to go for the six again because he'll decide the game. That's right. So there can be no discretion. You just get the six again in every in every I, circumstance. I'm happy. I really I do. I like the six again rule as long as it's worth a penalty that used to be a penalty. It's the six again is supposed to be built not for. Well, that was sort of half a penalty. Yeah, it's only the mm. first tackle. I'll give him six more. It's supposed to be, if it was a penalty before, give it. You know, give him six more tackles. Sometimes I think, what, what, was it that tackle or the, the tackle before, which doesn't really. They, were, I don't think they would have given that as a penalty. Yeah, I, I remember playing. I played in a game, uh, my last year of my career. I think there was thirty-six penalties in the game. It was every minute and a half to two minutes. I, I could have went out and played two games after it. It was that. I was that fresh. Mm. So the six to go rule is in there and I think it's made it a lot better game. But again, the penalties have to be, when it really needs to be a penalty, has to be a penalty. But it can continue with the six to go. I actually really like the balance. I do believe they'll review it at the end of the year There's and no we'll doubt. come up with some sort of system where it really works they, for both. They will see what works, what doesn't work. Mm. Craig, a lot of blowout scores. Mm-hmm. Good for the game or not good for the game? Uh, I don't think it's good for the game. I don't like to see a blowout scores. I like to see it a bit tighter. Question though, is is the is the motive to change the 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 overall speed of the game and the style of the game? Is it part of a bigger picture, do you yeah, think? They did a, um, didn't they ask their fans? I was kind of shocked because there's a number of schools that I've or kids that I've spoken to, my nephew in particular, he's not allowed to play rugby league at his school because oh, okay. of the contact in case someone gets hurt. <laughs> And I'm thinking, is this a is this a part of a general trend throughout the the school system? In given the fact that we're in, you know, like a, a lot of the parents tend to shy away from how, how old? Craig? How old? He is 11 years old now. Oh. So he plays club footy outside of uh, outside of school, but not allowed to play not allowed to play league. But you're allowed to play AFL or you're allowed to play soccer. And that was uh, that was a bit of a that was quite quite a shock to me. Which is bizarre too, because I think yeah. the the junior league it's actually been scientifically proven they've done a lot of research on it saying that our game is mm. probably one of the safest junior yeah. sports games mm. in, in there so yeah look it's, it's disappointing to see that schools aren't doing yeah. it so well i can tell you from uh, the perspective of a chairman of an nrl club pathways junior development is critically important that's yeah. that's the biggest challenge facing the game today is to make sure that the participation levels are up where they need to be because you need people coming through and, and learning every child that, that pulls on a jumper and a, bo- a pair of boots needs to know that they have a pathway to an NRL club, that eventually they can get there if they're good enough. Uh, That's not necessarily the case now. So pathways and then promoting the game is the biggest challenge leading. Mm. Uh, Anyway, so look, it's something something to be looked at. The other rule change, or potentially, uh, how old were you, Luke, when you debuted? I was 18. Craig? I think I was 18 in two months. Stephen? 19. Okay. Should 17-year-olds be playing NRL? Me personally, I, I like the rule that they brought, brought in and said no. Okay. Uh, because at the end of the day, look, you're going to be, you haven't got enough weight on you. You've still got a lot of learning. What's the difference if you start at 17 or start at 18? I know they've bent the rules. Obviously, one of the young Roosters players, I think yeah. it is, from memory. What's well, yeah. use having a rule and then you can get an exemption? No, that's right. So I think that <coughs> like, now that they've broke that rule, mm. it's basically going to be open slaver. But in saying that, I did love, like, my hero was Brad Fitler. He played at 16, nine months. Yep. All I ever wanted to do was 
play while still at school. Imagine playing first grade. I think Jordan, was Jordan Rankin the youngest to ever debut or something like early uh, sixteen oh. and a few months? Was Jordan Adam Jordan, Ritson? I'm oh. Not sure. I think Adam Ritson. I think Jordan, was Rankin, Jordan Rankin was yeah. sixteen as well. Or something. Yeah. I think Freddie might have been seventeen. <coughs> yeah, there might you go. Seventeen. So but what if you what if you get a hundred and twenty kilo seventeen year old? Yeah. Can I, play I, or not? I think I think it's a case by case situation. I'll be arguing the point though. Why is it all right for a hundred and twenty kilo bike or not for me? So if it was if I'm sitting there and I'm eighty kilos, but I'm getting told, mate, I want to play your first grade. You're ready to go. Well, I'm yeah. thinking. Well, if you're not, ninety kilos, I'm not hundred. I'm not hundred and twenty kilos. Does it go on weight? Does it go on? Yeah, development. You have you have young night seventeen year olds, and you have. Yeah, seventeen-year-olds that are adults. Yeah, no, but it's, like I, I think mentally, I don't think I think it's a great thing to leave them to their mm-hmm. AD mentally. They've got a really good system in place at the moment where we never had it when we were young kids, where they have to you know do education, make sure you do all the. I remember when I signed a young kid, I was just started to do an apprenticeship, um, and then signed a full-time contract. I didn't end up doing my apprenticeship or finishing it. Now mm-hmm. I look back and I go, I wish I did it. So now they're actually forcing you to do it and forcing you to get educated. So And it's hard to make those training times. So a lot of guys that are at school will miss school to go to training. Uh, I think just get your school done, be a kid, get your HSC done, whatever you're doing. And then when you're old enough to play at 18, go for it. Look, I know the Roosters have done all their due diligence with young Suwali. There's no doubt now he's going to school. They've spoken to you know, counsellors and the school headmaster and the like. But I think I take on board Stephen's point too that once you have a rule and an exemption, you're opening a door, and the next time a club lodges an application for an exemption, the NRL's in a difficult position to say no. no. That's how, right. do they, how do they say no? Like they say, well, he's not as mature as the other kid is. Well, hang on, who's going to make that call? You Mentally, know? physically, Physi- what are you going here? I, I, I do like the rule. Here's, and if, if kids grow up saying, these are the rules, I've got to complete yeah, some sort of education or be doing something in the background, so then when I'm ready, when I turn 18, I can play a rugby league, they'll start doing that. Yeah. It's yeah. funny when you mentioned about weight because one of the comments that were made at the Tommy Radonikas tribute was about his first competition was in the five stone seven category. That's that's yeah. how they yeah. it went by weight, which, whichever competition, not by your age. Now, and I think that's something they need to potentially look at if you're saying kids that are too small and not developed enough, staying in the game of rugby league, you can have these amazing... Because you know, kids these days are, are bigger, they're heavier. Mm. If you I'm develop, surprised a, they didn't do that earlier. <coughs> if you they, develop they, I'm later, surprised they hard. haven't done that already. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what I mean. Especially coming through the juniors, saying, "Look, here's a, we have one competition. Whether you have enough kids playing, but here's an option for you, so you can still be in the game and develop later." Mm. I develop really late. It, it's some kids don't. Oh, no, no, it's absolutely right. You turn up at under sixes, under sevens, under eights, and there could be a disparity of two or three stone in mm. weight between the mm. kids playing in that competition. As a parent, you would be a little bit concerned about it. There's, there's, there's yeah. no doubt. What weight did you debut at, debut at Beef? I was 93. And what did you kilos. finish at? Uh, 103. <laughs> what did you debut at? Yeah, I would have been about 76 kilos. And then? And I've, I've ended up playing with you last year at 104. <laughs> I debuted at uh, 75 kilos and finished at 89. All right. Well, don't worry about where you yeah. finished. Where are you today, Luke? 107. Craig? I'm 89, but a lot of that's fat now. <laughs> oh, no, not sure about <laughs> that. About, same, about 103, about the same. Oh, well done. It's all dropped down from the chest to the belly. So uh, 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 Johnny Scandal is, of course, from the West Tigers, who I have a lot to do with. I think he's playing, well, it's about 102, 103 or something. He's 90, you know, just looked tall and lean and whatever and keeps himself really fit. Two ways you can go. I yeah. some, some guys you see didn't watch the, what they eat, the and then they way. finish and then they just start. Yeah. Mate, why didn't you do this 10 years ago? And yeah. then other guys 
other but, way. But every, every football player out there is either playing above their weight or below their weight, yep. and they just go in those directions once they retire. But don't you find that some players have got the propensity to put on weight very quickly, and yep. other, and, yes. and but also to lose it very quickly as well? Yep. It's just yeah, you're I, I played with a player that put on 10 kilos in the Christmas break. That's uh-huh. two weeks. Wow. <laughs> and took him a while to lose it? Or he lived above KFC, so oh, okay. that had something to do with it. You come back heavier <laughs> or lighter? In, the, in an off-season, you come back heavier or lighter? I always come back payment. lighter. So I, I always, always came back lighter. lighter yeah. Yeah. Oh, because less muscle, yeah. less yeah. workout. Yeah. Yeah. You're not training. You're, you're, you're losing weight. Some guys come yeah, put on 10 kgs. Well, I used to train harder, so when I went, went back, it was a little bit easier. <laughs> I, oh, didn't do, I didn't do one thing. My theory was... time to rest, I'm doing nothing. My theory was we went back lighter and you're doing running. It's not as hard. Yeah, you yeah, don't have to carry as much yeah. weight. He's yeah. so well, a deep well, thinker, Louis. I didn't yeah, realise no, 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 he's a deep thinker. Well, that's why he's here. But speaking of coming back, pre-season, right, we hear a lot about it. But I mean, us and the, you know, 99.9% of the population would never go through an NRL pre-season yeah. program whatnot. Is it something that you really dread? Is it, you know, did it get to the end of the off-season and you think, oh, God, I've got to go back and do? Or is it something you look forward to, hooking up with all the boys again and starting again? Or is it really really punishing I couldn't wait to get back yeah. I love being with the boys um, ripping in together uh, having the sheds and the morale around the team and then being in the gym having a laugh practical mm-hmm. jokes all the other stuff that goes with it but um, I couldn't wait to get back it was just I know real give you a real clear focus on what you want to do you could tick off little goals that you wanted to tick off um, I don't know how the other boys felt but as the years went on my very first uh, pre-season was like the old school you had to yeah. do all the old long distant runs and you know, big weights and then everyone would go out for a feed on the Tuesday night and he'd had to have a few beers and I wasn't a massive drinker but um, took Wingy to, yeah. to turn me over in uh, 2003 Kangaroo Tour. But, um, influence. Yeah, no, and then obviously as you get older, the, the GPS yeah. comes in and, and yeah. it all changes but uh, I loved it. Yeah, I, I used to love the pre-seasons because um, that was actually when you used to see your body change and you had all these, these benchmarks that you're always trying to beat. Or, uh, or or get to and it was for me it was very rewarding but it also it also depended on how much rest I got that that off season as well once you start to play kangaroo tours and everything the the preseason can can sometimes come around too quickly although I do I do think the measures that they have in place these days where they they have to have a certain amount of rest at the end of the year what is, is it is very very mandatory important. there weeks. is a mandatory yeah. period that's yeah. right depending on yeah. when they finish the season how far how deep into the season they go and now of course they're playing yeah. a lot of test matches yeah. after the end of the season yeah. a lot of you know the Polynesian yeah. countries yeah. and the like yeah. so it can it can extend all the way into January before yeah. the boys that, are that, back, that's super important I remember having a uh, having a it was probably the last year I played for the ruse. I think I had a three-week off-season, mm. and I had to turn around and play in the first trial match. I was scratching my head, thinking, Wouldn't, and then wouldn't happen end, today. Yeah, and then, you, today. then you end up carrying last year's injuries into the new year, and that turns into a, a very, very tough year. There's another rule too now. If you've played over, what is it, it's twelve a, games, is it? and you, you don't, you're not allowed to play in the first trial game. Oh, okay. Uh, is that, really? is that yeah. why Cameron Smith oh, hang on, playing no, no, until yeah, he's no, 55 years old? Well, no, there are two trials, that's right. Fringe players and then a, then a genuine trial, that's right. So they're only playing the one real trial, the majority of players. Yeah. You've got to play 12 games or less uh, NRL, and then you can play in that first one and possibly the second, but you're right, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, How good is that? Well, it used to be it's two awesome. solid hitouts, wasn't it? Yeah. Now it's down to one. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Stephen? Uh, no, pre-season... Uh, well, hang on, no, you're no. up the northern beaches too, so it would have been a lot of sand dunes and would have been yeah. all that sort of beach Look, work. And were they hard? They were pretty crazy. But that's when you got to hang out with the boys. Yeah. I love playing rugby league. I love training. And that pre-season where, where you bond and, and mm. get together with your teammates and that starts the camaraderie of, of building it. You know, we're all doing it tough. You get the back markers through, the leaders. You know, I'll take this one for the team. Everyone builds camaraderie that you're going you're gonna to need that round one before you start. One thing you said, Craig, which just reminded me about kangaroo tours. 
Now, I know that you boys have all played State of Origin, Premiership winners, played for Australia. But when I speak to people like Blocker and others, they speak so fondly of kangaroo tours, like it's the, the, the best time of their, their professional careers. We were meant to have one last year, of course, they were going to resurrect it, but with COVID, we did, it didn't happen. A necessity, do you think kangaroo tours are a necessity, something for players to aspire to? Yeah, you definitely need that. That's something to aspire to. I, like, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of Origin. It's the it's the toughest level of footy you've ever played in. It's probably the most exciting, but realistically, the pinnacle of any sport is to be able to represent your country and represent your country in in, in a in a great tournament as well. I think kangaroo tours are, are, are definitely will always be 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 the pinnacle of the game. Best thing you can, best thing you can do <coughs> in rugby league. Like obviously Origin, like Craig Wing said, but. I remember my first kangaroo tour. I got to sit in a room with players I looked up to my whole life. I remember sitting there pulling up my socks and looking around and seeing Wingy in there and seeing, you know, um, Shane Webke and Darren Lockyer and the list just keeps going on and on and on. And then get to spend time away from football and understand what they're about. Absolutely mind-blowing. It's the best thing I've ever experienced and I think all these kids should get that opportunity to experience that. And and the other angle there is it's also for the the development of the game as well. Mm. You put the, the best players in the one room and you see what uh, in the one game and in, in the one team and you see what comes out of uh, at the back end I mean you only have to look back to the Queensland era when you had Cameron Smith and all those guys just they were playing all that representative football together and they just got further and further and further ahead and those players pretty much reinvented their positions yeah. so well, kangaroo to us what I toured in 1994 the last so we were going over there playing midweek games and there was the emus and the kangaroos so we had Eight weeks in England and two weeks in France. Oh, wow. Like, it was it was a proper kangaroo tour. They did it once every four years. That type of – you can't – obviously can't do it now because the um, Super League's played in the summer, so it's, you know, uh, at the same time of us. But we'd go over there and play midweek games, and it was it was amazing. So I'm hanging out with Mal Meninga and Laurie Daly and, um, yeah. yeah, some legends of the game. No, but you're right, though. I take on board um, Craig's point as well. We've done a lot of work to promote the game in the South Pacific, you know, with Tonga and Samoa yeah. and New Zealand, of course, and Fiji. All these countries, countries have really come on. But we can't forget, of course, the game is very important to England and to France yeah. as well. And we want, yeah. we want to try and expand it throughout Europe if we can. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great game. Now, speaking of kangaroo tours, speaking of playing for Australia, they usually pick these teams after a State of Origin series. So you boys go out there, you pull on the sky blue, and anything that's wearing maroon, you'd take their heads off. Yeah. But then the minute you put on the, the green and gold, it's, it's, is it all done and dusted? Is it over? The, you, you, like, do you share a room with the Queenslander? Is there no issue, no dramas? It's usually a little bit frosty for a few days. Oh, okay. then, uh, it depends what they've done to you during the game. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you don't forget? The first well, week. I always yeah. find the first week's no, a bit weird. You, yeah. you go out for dinner. I'm, I'm with Louis. You do yeah. a dinner and everyone, we go out every dinner pretty much every night. Mm. Everything's paid for, which is amazing. And you sort of sit in New South Wales, Queensland. And then as the weeks sort of slowly go on, yeah. you start to intertwine. But well, I actually made some great mates um, yeah. and some great relationships through the guys that played in Queensland. So um, it, the New South Wales, the state of origin is absolutely mind-blowing. It's so good in the way that we've got that rivalry and hatred. But when you come together, it, it's amazing how mm. quick it turns and how much fun you actually enjoy hanging out with these guys. So well, We had mid-90s. Spartan chief killing each other for the seagulls, and so they they both obviously make the origin side. Night one, they've roomed together. It was a little bit icy. Night one, um, I don't know whether it's my uh, Mediterranean blood, but um, I can hold a grudge for a long time without any, without any effort whatsoever. And you hear often the adage, "What happens on the field stays on the field." 
is that always true? I, I would say, I would say yes. Look, there's, yeah. there's grubby people on the field. 99.9% of the time, they're legends off the off field. field. I don't yeah. want to like that guy, but geez, a really good bloke. And you have yeah. a beer and, and, and they're good guys. And it's, yep. that's, for me, that's, yeah. I'm not really a grudge type person. Yeah. Wingy looks like. No, no. No, no, I, I no, no name's Craig. No, no, no. Is there a player that just, just you could not take to? No, on, no, on and off the field. No, not at all. No I names, mean, no I, I remember. So I always had my biggest rivalry through my career with Danny Bedirus, and, okay. and it was the Roosters um, Knights rivalry there. And that's a healthy rivalry. Yeah, I, I used to hookers. used to hate um, Bedsy and and Joey, and when we'd play on the f- when we'd play, and they'd kick down, I'd pick the ball up or whatever, and they'd be in a tackle. They'd say some things that you'd probably <laughs> not get away with these days. So going into my first Origin, I was looking forward to you know, like I was kind of we had hatred for these guys, mm. but then. After the first day, after the first team bonding session, actually, yes. which was put on by Tui's at the time, so you mm. know, give you an indication of what it was like. The next morning, they were they were my best mates. It really does. You just realise that you know, to get to a certain level in in rugby league, deep down, you have to be a good bloke, and yeah, you have I don't to be know. able to get on with other. I people don't know how well. anyone could not like yeah. Danny Bedera. He's such a good yeah. bloke. Such he, a he, was, he was my Play- roomie for a month in, okay. in England. So, but playing uh, against yeah. him, I suppose, might be a little bit different. What about you, Luke? No names, but are there some blokes that you just could not take to on or off the paddock? No, okay. not at all. I, I find I found. Every relationship that I've had through rugby league has been amazing. Obviously, there's a couple of people there you don't like to room with because they're just messy or they're yep. you know lunatics. But um, as a, a friendship or a person that you know, absolutely not. Uh, whatever happens on the field stays on the field. You're talking to them and you're pretty much uh, on the phone or maybe a couple of hours later. So, um, yeah, look, it, it's I think what you hear is so true. Okay, know. fair enough. One of the more popular parts of these Law Pod segments is that when the, the, the guest gives a bit of a background to how they got to where they are today, and people are really interested. That We had Brad Fittler in here a week or two ago, and of course, he's a local boy, started off in Ashcroft five minutes down the road. So we'll start with you, Luke. Tell us the Luke Lewis story from the time that you pulled on a jumper for the first time and until you got uh, how you got to here. Yeah, I was actually a young kid. My family all massive uh, footy footy heads. Uh, were around football all my life. All I ever wanted to do when I was play footy, I started playing at the age of three. I actually started at Layla Park, which is in the Parramatta competition. And then um, my coach said to me, if you ever want to play, if you want to play representing football, you're probably going to have to leave um, Layla Park and go into a first division comp because they were playing second or third division back then. So I went over to Blacktown City, uh, then sort of slowly made my way from there. I uh, started over there under nines or under tens and uh, got picked in the development squads. Kind of had a great um, way to sort of, you know, blood kids coming through. And then played Harold Matt, Test G Ball, and um, yeah, then it got me a chance in, in first grade in, in 2001. So that's sort of all how it happened. And I, I grew up in Doonside, but all my mates I, I went to school with and played with. So yeah, I had a great childhood. Okay. And then uh, how'd you get into grade? Where had you work your way through into that Penrith side? It was funny. Actually, we played at uh, SG Ball, uh, got to the grand final. We were undefeated. Um, we lost to, to Newcastle. We were up 24 0 at half time. We lost. I don't know how we did that. But uh, played against Mick Gannis and Brad Ty and. Uh, you know, uh, Greg Bird, all these kind of players. It was a really good uh, competition, and then had a couple of injuries uh, in front of me, which I think Andrew Hinson was playing centre for Penrith at the time in, in reserve grade. Got injured. Uh, Chris Hickson got injured. I ended up getting called um, caught up by Roy Simmons, and said, "I'm going to fly down to Melbourne and take your family down." And the rest is history. Um, never sort of really looked back. It was my ultimate dream just to play one game, and uh, got to do it with, with blokes I looked up to in a club yep. that I absolutely idolised. So, so that's sort of how it happened. When you debuted, who was in the team? Who was it? Oh, Steve Carter, okay, uh, Reese Wesser, that, that Craig crew. Gower. Um, 
Oh, was the M- list goes on. M- Scotty MG? Sattler. Was MG there? No, was MG wasn't there. He'd retired. But, yeah. um, again, all those kind of guys. Yeah. I've got to play in Steve Carter's testimonial mm-hmm. in 2001, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, I got to play against you know, players like Andrew Johns and Adam McDougall in those three games towards the end of the year. And I still couldn't believe I was running out against them. Right, fair enough. Uh, Craig, the Craig Wing story. Uh, started playing footy in the side street at South Maroubra with a couple of guys from across the street who are a year older than me. Then they joined the um, Southeastern Magpies over at Piney Park in Malabar and I, I went across with them. I was, I was kind of playing up a year. Stayed there for a couple of years. Um, then that team folded, so I went to the Coogee Randwick Wombats for 10 years. Um, they folded and then I went to Maroubra Lions, but I pretty much, South Sydney have, have got a really good junior <coughs> pathways uh, program. I just followed the path really. They actually have a junior bunnies program which starts just before Matthew Shield. Um, so I made junior bunnies, then I played Matthew Shield, SG Ball, and pretty much in my end of my HSC year, I got called into, called into the first grade training squad I think I, my first ever trial was up at Glen Innes, far north Queensland. That was an eye-opening experience, going away with a first-grade footy team in a pre-season trial and then all the antics that went on afterwards with it. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it was great fun. I just, just followed the path, really, and I, I didn't really think too much about playing first-grade football or any of that stuff. It was just more about just doing the best with what I had, where I had it, and... Um, the rest took care of itself. Very nice. So that's it for the first part of our Blues Legends podcast and tune in for part two. Mm-hmm.